Macworld Podcast number 326 for October 31st, 2012. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. Given that it's Halloween, we really should be doing something seasonal, but in our business, this time of year really means new Apple products prepared for the holidays. And we've had a lot of them flowing through Macworld Labs recently. And because we have, I've invited Lab Director Jim Galbraith and Macworld Senior Editor Roman Loyola to join me to talk about two new products they've recently looked at, the 13-inch Retina Display MacBook Pro and the latest Mac Mini. So let's talk. I'm joined by Roman Loyola and Jim Galbraith to discuss the performance of a couple of products recently released by Apple. Welcome, fellas. Thanks. Hello. So let's start with a 13-inch MacBook Pro Retina display. Now, obviously, the display is the big deal on this one, but does performance suffer because of that display compared to one with a standard display, or is it better? I think that uh, the other internal enhancements like the uh, super fast flash storage. I mean, it, it was a much faster system uh, than the non-Retina 13-inch MacBook Pro. And that one has, they both had the same processor. Yeah, so just to clarify, flash, flash storage makes a huge difference in terms of overall performance. It's amazing how much you hit the disk when you're doing stuff. Yeah, we didn't see a bit, and we didn't see a big hit in our graphics tests going from the standard resolution to the Retina. Okay, so if I were, if I didn't care at all about the Retina display, would it make more sense for me to save some money and get the standard display? It might, because um, the regular or non-Retina MacBook Pro still has some of the ports that some people want, like the FireWire 800 and the Ethernet port. Uh, and that stuff isn't on the new Retina. The Retina has the same kind of ports that are on the 15-inch. It's If anything, it's almost like a mirror image. You know, you, you shrunk it down, essentially. So mm-hmm. that might be... And you save some money going with the non-Retina display. So... Yeah, it's, I, I certainly think that that non-Retina MacBook Pro is still quite a viable product in its line, and people might opt for that more than the 13-inch. The 13-inch Retina is definitely going to appeal to professionals on the road, say like a photographer who does a lot of on-location shooting, same with a videographer. Um, so people who really want that high resolution to see a lot of detail. Okay, well, what kind of graphics processor does the uh, Retina display have? They're just using the uh, Intel HD 4000 graphics. Yeah, which is surprising. They use integrated graphics on the 13-inch. You know, it's to, to cut the cost because the other MacBook Pros come with two pro, two graphic processors. So they use the affordable, um, the, the affordable option on the Retina, which is kind of surprising. You know, I initially didn't wasn't sure if that integrated processor could handle pushing 4, 000, 4 million pixels, but it seems to be able to do it. Um, you know, it's not as fast as a dedicated graphics processor, but it, it seems to do the job okay. 
So the 15-inch, with its uh, discrete graphics, it's using the uh, NVIDIA GeForce GT6500M graphics with one gig of dedicated video memory. It was twice as fast as the 13-inch with its Intel HD 4000 integrated graphics. Okay, so does this make this 13-inch Retina Pro significantly less attractive now, even though it's got the great display on it? Are the graphics slow enough that you're going to feel like, yeah, man, I wish I'd gone with a 15-inch instead? Well, are people buying 13 inches to play games? I'm not sure. Uh, it seems kind of a small screen to be doing that. It seems like it's a great size for portability. Um, it looks beautiful. You know, icons, text, everything looks great on it. Uh, the flash storage is super fast compared to uh, the standard 13 inch what you miss by going 15 by going 13 instead of 15 with the retina is quad core processors instead of you know you get a dual core processor on the 13 and you get the integrated graphics on the 13 instead of the discrete graphics integrated graphics combination that you get on the 15 okay well given that is this the kind of machine you would want to use for something like final cut pro that's going to hit the processor pretty hard and it's going to tax your, your graphics chip? Is it, does it make more sense in that case to get the 15? I think it makes more sense to, to get the 15 if you're doing really heavy video editing. If you're doing if you're, video editing is more on the smaller side, maybe say like a, um, a college student, not necessarily saying that they do lesser projects, mm -hmm. but maybe their projects aren't as detailed. You know, maybe they don't, they're not doing a whole lot of intricate editing and stuff. Maybe that works. The 13-inch would be okay for that. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to do a full-featured movie on it, uh, you probably want to use a, a more powerful laptop. Then, you know, the quad-core processors and the 15-inch is a lot better for, suited for that kind of task than the 13-inch. You know, the 13-inch, it's it seems very attractive because it's so small, but... You know, you do have to make some compromises, uh, and and some of that is not just compromises in terms of features, but compromises in terms of what you can do with that particular machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know that there are going to be some pro photographers who are listening to this are going to say, well, you know, even a 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro screen isn't big enough. We need huge screens because, you know, we're, we're editing these enormous images. And so the idea that a 13-inch is going to be acceptable either – may just not be within the realm of possibility for them. On the other hand, there's nothing stopping them from adding an external display, right? Right. You could, you know, it has a Thunderbolt port, so you can connect a Thunderbolt display or a mini display port display. Um, you can also, you know, you can't get through it through the um, built-in system preferences the display's preferences, but you could get to the higher resolutions, like use the native um, 2560 by 1600 resolution. If you use something like uh, Quick Res, which is a, I actually reviewed it as a Mac gem. Um, there are other applications that let you do that. You can't get to that through the system preferences. So you theoretically, you get more just desktop workspace, but everything becomes smaller. So it might be a little more difficult to work in, especially if you need to, say, move a slider to a particular point, to a specific fine point, and finding that little point in the, on, the, on, the, on a really high resolution might be a little more difficult than 
if you were using a bigger display with a lower resolution, that makes sense at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the squint factor, because I know that they put, pack a lot of pixels yeah. on these things, but as the screen gets smaller, a lot of the objects on the screen get smaller as well, so that pe when people open these things up and say, wow, this is going to be great, and they put it to the highest resolution, unless you have great eyes or really good glasses, you're, you're looking at pretty small objects. Yes, I mean, it, it looks great uh, at its default resolution, you know, you're opening it up and everything looks great. I don't think you would use that, crank it up to be reading web pages and things. I mean, you're trying to maybe try and view a photo at 100% in Photoshop or something, or, or you're going to try and look at two things side by side and you don't want to have them, you know, reduced. So uh, that's kind of when that super high resolution comes into play. Okay, so that sounds good comparing it to the 15-inch, but what about dropping it down and comparing it to the MacBook Air? What kind of uh, performance are we seeing there? Uh, well, the MacBook Air versus the Retina MacBook Pro, uh, it was 13 uh, – sorry, the 13-inch was 11% faster overall. The, they both used the same kind of flash storage, so – the copy file tests, moving stuff around, importing files, things like that. Those were all very close. Uh, the processor uh, intensive tests were faster on the Retina with 7% uh, faster Mathematica mark and 9% uh, faster in our file compression tests. So it's not insanely faster than the Air, these standard 13-inch Retinas. Which is kind of surprising because, I mean, the clock speed on the Retina – seems to be significant a significant difference over the macbook air but again that flash storage makes a lot of difference makes up kind of alleviates the bottleneck a little bit for the macbook air that you would think would be there because it has a slower the processor speeds clocked slower it's a 1.8 gigahertz so i mean they're both dual core processors so um you'll probably see a bigger difference if you were to you know use that Final Cut Pro project on the MacBook Air because the MacBook Air will also throttle down in order to maintain uh, uh, optimal operating temperature. So you could see it if you were, say, rendering a very long video, something that was super processor intensive, using a gigabyte file maybe in, in Photoshop or something. So that would, yeah, so that would tend to throttle. May, that could possibly throttle the MacBook Air down. So you would see the performance difference become greater then. But it's, yes, it got, they're using the same graphics, the same integrated graphics, and same flash storage. So, yes. There's... Okay. Well, what about the weight of the two things? I know they've slimmed down the, the Retina display 13-inch. Is it significantly lighter than the other one? It's 0.6 pounds less. The Air weighs 0.6 pounds less than the Retina. 13 inch what's the retina versus the standard uh so the retina versus the standard the the non-retina is about a pound okay so so there's so between the air and the retina it's a half a pound and maybe some people won't notice it you might you'll notice it over the long haul and the other interesting thing about the air and the retina 13 inch is that the retina 13 inch is smaller in size smaller in width and in depth it's uh just a hair well more than a hair it's about point i believe it's 0.7 inches thicker 
on than the MacBook Air at its thickest part because the MacBook Air tapers. Uh, so at its thickest part, um, they're very close. And unless you like really line it up, you, you can't really tell the difference in terms of thickness at the MacBook Air's thickest part. So it's an interesting thing because you can, you can almost say, I think the Retina MacBook Pro is just as portable as the MacBook Air. They're practically the same size. The Retina is even smaller in, in dimensions. Right. Do you need a 13-inch Air and a 13-inch Retina? I, I don't know. Right. Is it's, it... What you have to decide is do you want the more processing power and the display, you know, is, is if you don't think there's a huge difference in portability between the Air and the Retina MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so far we've talked about stock configuration. Is there anything I can do to up the um, MacBook Pro's performance by adding other options to it? Funny you should mention that. Uh, no, we just <laughs> we just finished uh, testing uh, the ultimate configuration of the 13-inch Retina MacBook, and uh, that includes a. Uh, it's still a dual core, but it's got a faster 2.9 gigahertz Core i7 processor instead of the 2.5 dual-core i5, that's standard. And then we also threw in uh, a 512-gigabyte flash storage drive instead of the 256. So that was $500. Mm-hmm. So with those $700 worth of options, uh, we've got a 2699 MacBook Pro 13-inch. And uh, so it's much more expensive, and it's a little bit faster, but it's not it's not super faster and it's still not as fast as the 15 inch retinas with their quad core processors okay so is there any option to put an additional drive in there you just stuck with the one drive you're well the thing about the retinas including the 15 inch is that it's you have to configure it at the time of purchase apple doesn't consider them user upgradable so one main sticking point, and it's, and it's a huge sticking point with the 13-inch Retina, is that it only comes with 8 gigabytes of RAM. You can't get any more or any less. And that's actually true with the other 13-inch laptops. It's 8 gigabytes of RAM. So there seems to be a restriction in terms of the form factor of that 13-inch laptop that Apple can't figure out a way to put more RAM in, into that form factor. So 8 gigabytes of RAM, for some people, that's immediately, you can't, that's not something they're going to be able to to cope with. They need more Mm -hmm. RAM. So immediately that might be a limitation. Um, As far as the flash storage goes, you can configure that also at the point of purchase. And I believe today, just today, on Tuesday... OWC announced that they had a module, an upgrade module that you can put into the Retina MacBook Pro. And I forget how many, what's the capacity of it, but companies like OWC can offer third-party upgrades. How to install that upgrade is another thing. You might have to send the machine in. Um, You could probably try doing it yourself. It's not fixed. The flash storage isn't fixed. Um, but it's not like removing a drive. It's not a drive like it is in the ret or the non-retina MacBook Pros. It's a module. Mm-hmm. 
So you have to find a way to disconnect it, and it's yeah, it's more like RAM, right? You know, it's got it just kind of slips in, and there's a screw or two holding it in. Right. But getting to that screw, getting it open, yeah, uh, I'm not exactly sure where if it's under the battery or or where it might be. So uh, you might be getting into something. Uh, over your head once you get under the hood. Right, and that seems to be increasingly the way Apple's going with their laptops. It's just more like an iPad design where they just have basically determined that you are not getting into this thing. You bought it this way, and that's what it's going to be, which I understand on a, a smaller device like an iPad, but when you're talking about something like a laptop that you're likely to keep for three, maybe even four years, and not make it upgradable, and, and also basically say if you want a you know a bigger capacity and more of this or more of that you'll get it at purchase or you won't get it at all um i think that is going to be a little off putting for for some people who are accustomed to being able to update their um machines yeah there are a lot of users who think that a pro machine should be able to let users let people go into it and customize it because it's if it's a pro machine, it you know it's targeted at experienced users, not just you know. But Apple's theory is that a pro machine means it's it's built to handle heavy duty tasks, you know. And it's, it's sort of like the idea with the Mac Pro that's it's a customizable machine you can mm -hmm. put in cards and drives and stuff. But you know, I think we you know we saw it when Apple decided to go with a fixed battery, and they just gradually have added more components that are less user configurable. It's a um, trade-off you have to make, I guess, in order to make things that small and sleek right. and light. Uh, you know, if you're worried about making things easy and accessible for, you know, Joe Blow off the street, those things, you know, it's going to add space. You're going to have to, you know. So I think that it's a trade-off, whether you're willing to make it or not. We'll or, see. And maybe the more cynical would say, well, this is just Apple's way of making me buy a machine every two, three years. What? <laughs> Well, and, and what I think is likely is that they look at the numbers of people who actually do this kind of thing, and it is such a small percentage of their users. They think, look, you know, I think our users would much more appreciate a lighter, slimmer, portable computer than one that we're going to have to add an extra half pound to or, or make bulkier simply so they can get into it and, and fuss around with it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I often see people who are using MacBook Pros that are four or five years old, and they still love their machine, and they still think it's enough processing power for them. So, yeah, I think it is a small percentage of users who complain about the inability to access the innards and do whatever they want right. with them. And as we know, those those small percentages sometimes have louder voices than the rest of the uh... The customer. Right. So we'll the vocal minority, as it's called. Um, let's turn to the Mac Mini. Does it feel like a cheap, underpowered computer, or, or how does it stack up? Uh, I think the Mac Mini, actually, this time around, uh, we're still working on the full review, but we have benchmarks. Jim has the numbers. And this time around, uh, the boost, the speed boost that it's that it has is, is a nice speed boost. It's not – I don't think it's, it's not as incremental. You know, we would consider – 10%, 15% an incremental boost, but the boost seems to be more than that this time, right, Jim? Yeah, we got the, the in Speedmark 8, we are 31% faster over you know, mm. entry level versus the entry level. So, yeah, that's a pretty good bump. 
Uh, you know, plus you get a USB three. Um, it's got the increased graphics. It's still integrated, but the previous model had the HD graphics three thousand. Uh, this has got the four thousand, and uh, that helped. You know, like our Cinebench OpenGL test, it was sixty percent faster with the new Mac Minis than with the old Mac Minis. Okay, and as I recall. Even the last Mac Mini was a significant bump over the one prior to that. So I think that with each generation, or at least the last couple of times, they've improved significantly so that it isn't just sort of like, oh, you want a Mac for less than $1,000? Well, yeah, here, take this thing. Yeah, I guess the biggest uh, downside to the Mac Mini is it's relatively slow 5,400 RPM hard drive. Um, it would be nice to see a 7,200 RPM hard drive in there. Um, and, uh, we've got a, we actually have, uh, one on order with a fusion drive. It's one of the few Macs that you can get as an option with the new fusion drive. So we'll see how that, uh, how that bumps performance. Okay. Well, why don't you explain what a fusion drive is? Well, it's Apple's take on a hybrid drive. The, the problem with the problem with, uh, SSDs are that, you know, the price per gigabyte is really high. You can, you know, to to go from our 256 to a 512 uh, for the MacBook Pro, that costs $500, that upgrade. So we know that SSDs are very expensive. Um, but the slower, and everybody wants that super fast speed, but it's, it's difficult to pay for. So what they're trying to do is have a marriage of the SSD speed along with the, uh, the higher capacity and lower price per gigabyte of the standard spinning hard drive. So you as a user won't know the difference as far as, you know, do I need to put this on the fast part or this on the slow part or how do I mess, mess with these files? If you get a Fusion drive, um, the OS and all your applications are going to be installed on the SSD part of it for fast launching, fast startups, all that good stuff. And then... Uh, other things, files will be moved over to the uh, slower part of the hard drive uh, as the OS sees fit. And if it sees that you're using certain applications, certain files more, it will move that stuff over to the zippy SSD portion of the drive. But the user doesn't need to know and probably has no control over it if they wanted to, moving files back and forth. That's all the magic under the hood. Okay. Well, I have a MacBook Pro. It's a 15 inch and I have an SSD drive in there, which I threw in myself and I have a hard drive on there. So is some update to Mount Lion going to come along that turns that into a fusion drive? I don't, we have not received ours yet. And so if, you know, the, say the Seagate Momentus XT that we have in the lab right now, that is basically using, I think it's got 64 megs of S 64 gigs of SSD kind of used as cash mm -hmm. and it's just a standard uh, three and a half inch hard drive. You can't, it doesn't look like two drives. I'm not sure what the new fusion drive actually looks like. If it's two drives sandwiched together, if they're all in one package, I don't know. Yeah. And it's unclear if Apple is going to have a say fusion drive utility or Fusion Drive system preference in an OS update that lets you configure your Fusion Drive or, like in your in instance, uh, Chris, if you had an SSD and a hard drive and you can make your own Fusion Drive. Mm -hmm. it's, they haven't actually released any details as to what that 
is going to entail in OS 10. It's it's possible that they could just not include anything, and it's because they want to make it transparent to the user, which then means people who are more experienced can't configure it as they want. That you know, Apple kind of likes the idea that you don't have to deal with that. They'll take care of it for you in a lot of instances. There is a new version of disk utility that'll come out as the fusion drives rolls out. Uh, we've seen a few details about that. And, oh, we have. Okay. That you can uh, split the drive into two partitions. I think you can uh, separate out some of the slower drive as a partition. You can have a, you know, use one, use one of the partitions for boot camp. you know, but there's some things you need to know about, uh, like with time machine, there's a few, maybe gotchas in there that you just have to be aware of what you're doing now that we've got the fusion drive coming. So does it seem possible that if you wanted to, you could partition that and install yet another copy of OS 10 on the hard drives in case the SSD goes down? I guess it depends on whether, how integrated they are. I just don't, I don't, I mean, if it, if it's a, if it's a hardware failure, the whole thing might go South. I'm not, I don't know if I would be backing up to the same drive that way, but. Right. Okay. Um, what kind of graphics performance did you get out of the Mini? Well, the Mini, uh, like it's, it was uh, the problem. Well, not the problem. So uh, the other downside, I guess, is that the the higher end Mac Mini used to also have the dual graphics. So it had the Intel HD 3000, which was kind of slow. And we've seen that the 4000 is better. Um but it also used to have a, uh, a discrete AMD processor, graphics processor with its own dedicated video, video RAM. So that's no longer the case. Both Mac minis are using the Intel HD 4000. Um, and so we saw a drop in that, that performance. We saw that the, uh, that the graphics tests were not as fast when you had to use the integrated versus the discrete. Is that going to show up in slower video or photo editing or poorer game performance or, or what will people see? Game performance mainly. Yeah, a lot of frame rate. So um, the the good the good side the good news about the higher end Mac uh, Mini is that the trade off is yes now you have uh, integrated graphics but you have a quad core processor so that's made things like you know Photoshop a uh, Mathematica, Mark, Cinebench, those kind of tests, the CPU graphics, CPU intensive tests, handbrake, those kinds of things are much faster now than they were on the dual core Mac mini. Okay. So we're, we're talking about the higher end one. We're talking about the, the server configuration, right? No, there's uh, there's two versions. There's the 599 and the 799. Okay. And then there's a server version that has two hard drives. And then OS 10 server installed. But uh, there's two versions of the Mac Mini, the 599, the 799, and the Ultimate we're we're hoping to get in the next few days, which will have the Fusion Drive and uh, more RAM. Okay, now put on your evaluation hat, one of you. Um, is Is the more expensive one worth it? For the Mac Mini? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I think it is. Yeah, the the, the boost in that quad core processor makes a huge difference. You get twice the uh, capacity as well, so it's going for five five hundred gigabytes to a terabyte. 
Yeah, so for $200 more, the I think the bang for buck is definitely there. Okay. So it, it's, a, it's a lot better machine than the 500, the 599 machine. Yeah. Okay, so what's the best use for a Mini these days? Uh, you know, I think it's oh, – here's a great example. My wife – she uses a Mac, a Mac Mini at home. She mostly uses email. She's on the web a lot. Uh, you know, she'll watch video on the web. Um, she doesn't play a lot of games. Uh, although I think this Mac Mini can probably support a game okay, fine. Um, general usage, she's not. She does. She'll do a video project every once in a while, but it's a short family kind of video that's not being rendered at a huge resolution. It's a small video. So she'll do that every so often. But um, so it's somebody who is doing a lot of general usage, internet access, email, writing stuff, uh, maybe even spreadsheets. Uh, And then your occasional video, audio editing, some uh, small level image editing, cropping and things like that. So I think that would be that would be the the Mac Mini does well at those tasks. Mm-hmm. And of course you need it's, to have your own monitor and keyboard and input device, a mouse or a trackpad, right? Right. And you you know, maybe you don't want a glossy screen. You want a right. desktop, but you want you'd like a matte display. You don't want to be looking at yourself in a do mirror they still make all those? day long. They do. Math displays do exist. They just they just don't have a, have an Apple label on ah, it. Okay, maybe that's why they include <laughs> you can get little Apple stickers in your box so you can put yeah. them on your. Monitor. No, you can get a very you can get a very nice uh, Dell. You know, just Dell put display. a little sticker on top of it, <laughs> on top of that. But uh, you know, it's a matte display, IPS uh, LED backlight, twenty seven inch, same resolution, looks great, and it's caught. You know, you can get that for about the same price as an iMac. So for you, you get your Mac Mini plus this display. Right. You know, this entry level iMac is eleven ninety nine right now. So the one that's currently available is eleven ninety nine. So uh, you know, seven ninety nine for the high end Mac Mini. Throw in a display that's what anywhere between two to, and five hundred dollars, right? Or a thousand dollars if you really want to buy the Thunderbolt display. display. Um, so I mean, you can you can come in around the price of a, of an entry level iMac or even like the second tier iMac, twenty one inch iMac. So you know, with an iMac, you you have very little uh, ergonomic adjustment for it. You know, I like to have a, a a display that I can raise and lower and tilt and pivot and do all those kinds of things. So uh, you know, there's certain people that just aren't don't want a fixed shiny display. So a Mac mini might be a good fit for them and the display of their choice. Okay. Now this is a little off topic, but what do you think about Apple abandoning the media drives in new Macs? You know, I, I can't remember last time I've u- I used the super drive, so I, I don't miss it. Although it's funny today I was rendering a video and I thought, oh, I should burn this to a, oh, wait a minute, I don't have an optical drive on this retina. (laughs) So it it does happen every once in a while. Um, You know, you can buy a USB super drive from Apple for $79. 
it's kind of a pain because then that's another thing you have to carry around if you're using a laptop. Um, I I'm not sure I I miss it just yet. I I you know I have like I said I have one or two instances that happen every so often that make me wish I had an optical drive, but I haven't run into too many instances where I went, oh no, I really needed that optical drive and. It, it hasn't been a hindrance for me. You know, when if, when the Air first came out and didn't have it, but everything was still being released on CD and yeah. DVD, that was a pain. I was constantly looking for a dongle for this or, you know, where did I put that super drive or whatever. I mean, I was just always having to look for something. But, you know, most things are downloadable, you know, flash drives and thumb drives and just yeah, and, you know, Dropbox. The, and, the newer Macs or the more current Macs, including, I believe, maybe the generations from the past couple of years, if you had to reinstall the OS, you hold down Command-R and you get boot into the recovery partition, and then it, you need an internet connection. But, you know, if you needed to reinstall the OS, it's practically built into your Mac now, so you don't really need the OS on a disk. So that would be another reason why some people want that optical drive is so they can have... Uh, the latest OS on an optical disc. But, I mean, Apple doesn't even provide it on an optical disc anymore. So you have to rely on right. Command-R, the, the recovery partition. Yeah, and then there are those people who want to rip their own CDs and DVDs because they yeah. want the highest quality files they can make versus getting something from the iTunes store from Amazon that's uh, compressed. Well, you're the audience. I, again, I don't know how big that audience is, but that's certainly one reason you'd want some kind of um, super drive. Well, you're an audio guy, Chris. Do you do you do you have a problem with not having an optical drive? No, because you know my ears aren't so sensitive that they shut down if I hear a uh, 256 kilobit AAC file. Um, and I also use a ton of streaming services, yeah. so I can't remember the last time I even used an audio CD because I don't need to. I have access to you know, 27 million tracks, which should keep me busy for the next ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, it's not a problem for me, but I do understand that there are audiophiles who want those uncompressed files because they really have great equipment. They have great ears. And so they can tell the difference and it, it makes them shiver when they hear compressed files. And so good on them for, for being um, evolutionarily advanced <laughs> in that way, but I'm a cheaper date. So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, is there any reason to buy Apple's SuperDrive versus one that costs about a third as much? I don't think so. I don't think you, there's no performance game. Because, I mean, the mechanism is usually a Pioneer or some other mechanism that's often used in other drives, I think. There was uh, – Wally, our IT guy, came by the other day and said that there was actually a couple of different Apple – external right. super drives and that I think maybe the earliest ones really only supported the air. Yeah. Um, and if you try to uh, attach it and boot things off of it, it, it won't work with some of the uh, newer Macs I'm guessing. But um, yeah, I, uh, I think that you're totally fine going with, uh, with an external, I mean, it's not going to be aluminum. It's right. not going to, you know, it may not match and you might have to end up buying a, an additional cable especially if you want to use Thunderbolt. But there's no, actually, there's no Thunderbolt optical drive, I don't think. I don't think so. I yeah. think they all run USB, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, if you wanted to use FireWire, 
you would have to use, you know, there are Firewire optical drives, but you would have to use a Firewire to Thunderbolt adapter, and yeah, then it gets a little complicated, and so you might as well just rely on USB 3.0 at that point. Right. And then again, you've still got one extra Apple sticker left. You put one on your monitor. You've got the second external media drive. And then you've got actually two Apple branded devices that <laughs> cost you far less. Yes. So um, what other new Apple devices will be coming into the lab in the next couple of weeks? Well, we're hoping to get the new iMacs, the very thin IMAX also. Does that make any sense to you? I'm just sorry. I got on Twitter and kind of thought, yeah, I, you know, they make a big deal about the thinness of it, but I'm looking straight at my display. So it could be really thin or it could be several inches thick. And I wouldn't know the difference. I never met an iMac owner who said, oh, I wish this thing was thinner because it's, you're right. right. It's not an issue. I'd gladly give up my optical drive and ports for just a thinner profile. I mean, yeah, is, I mean, is that the trade-off? Is that you're you're giving up your optical drive? You're giving up some ports, or are you? Or do we get as many ports as we had before? Uh, I th- it doesn't have FireWire anymore. I, I remember that being a, a huge sticking point with a lot of people. It doesn't no longer has FireWire. They're relying on USB three and Thunderbolt. It has four USB three point ports and two Thunderbolt ports. All right, uh, but it moves the uh, SD card slot to the rear. Instead of on the side, which is not all that convenient. However, when you do that, you can look around to the side and see how thin it is. That's right. So, how do FireWire and three, uh, USB 3.0 compare now? They're pretty similar. It's, uh, you know, in our tests, you know, hard drive tests, uh, most people, I think, you know, using a USB 3 drive for transferring large files back and forth and backing up, that's plenty fast for for any of that stuff uh thunderbolt's faster but it's more expensive and now that you know now that you have to use dongles and things to get from firewire to thunderbolt and all that garbage that i lose under piles of paper i mean you know i'm just going to be using usb3 more and more right okay so you've got the imax coming in um Anything else? I suppose you're going to have a, an iPad mini one of these days. Uh, if uh, I guess yes. if the if the weather permits, then we'll be ha- well, we should be getting it on Friday. Yeah, we should be getting an iPad mini on Friday, and we'll have a review soon after that. Uh, that hopefully uh, depend I, I, maybe not on the West Coast as much, but you never know because you know with the hurricane, it could affect shipments. Hopefully, it won't affect shipments to the West Coast, but you never know what what happens with uh, trucks and planes and hurricanes. Right, um, and then the uh, and then the fourth generation iPad also coming Friday. Yes, Sandy and permitting. We'll have another review of that on our site coming soon after as well. Okay. Well, great. We look forward to those reviews. In the meantime, people can check out the MacBook Pro 13-inch Retina display. I believe we have a review up as well as your piece about maxing it out and, and what difference that makes. And then we have um, – and then the uh, Mac Mini review should be out soon. Yeah, yes. we have the benchmarks of the Mac Mini uh, up now, but the review itself should be coming pretty soon. Uh, and then – 
whenever the IMAX come out, we'll do the same. We'll post benchmarks and then we'll do a, a full review. Excellent. Okay. Well, I look forward to reading both pieces and thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Mackerel Podcast. I'd like to thank Jim Galbraith, Roman Loyola, and of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at mackerel.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac OS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. See you around.